Well, it is uh, wonderful to be here today and uh, to be sharing. Thank you for all of you that braved the storm and uh, ran in through the rain to get here today. And for all that are watching online, it's great to, uh, to have you with us as well. We've been talking about breaking free from your pasts. And uh, Anne did a great job last week speaking on this, just sharing her own testimony, just the, the amazing thing of God healing her from ADHD, but how part of that healing came through her breaking three, free of false beliefs she had about herself. And, you know, each one of us, we have a story. We have an entire history that's led up to today. You know, our story includes what happened this morning, what happened 10 years ago, what happened decades ago. We all have a story. And each one of our histories, each, each one of our stories has shaped who we are today, both good and bad. It's helped us you know, in some ways, it's helped us. In other ways, it's hindered us. But we all have a story. And the, that story, while it may have shaped us, it doesn't need to define us. Our past, what happened decades ago, what happened in our childhood, what happened yesterday, what happened this morning, that does not determine who we are. And this is so important because if we are going to live in the fullness of everything that God has for us, we have to allow him to break off all the things that hinder us. As I was speaking a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing that some of the things, you know, that have shaped us in our past are our families, you know, but it's also friendships, the school we went to, the culture we grew up in. All these things shape us. The church we belong to, the friends we had, the family friends, the people that hurt us and the people that praised us, that all shapes us. And part of us fully living in what God has for us is us being able to humbly and honestly look at our past and how it may be affecting us. Because the truth is, when I interact with you, I'm not only interacting with you, but I'm interacting with everything that shaped you up to this point. If you're married, you know this well. You know, that the reality is our family histories, how we've been raised, how we've grown up, it informs how we do things. For Lee and I, all the time, we're recognizing, oh, we do this because this is what our parents did. Or we do this because it was... Uh, and it, because of an experience that we went through that's caused us to think a particular way or act a particular way. And not all of those things are good, and not all of those things are of the Lord, and many of them are not. And part of our journey is inviting Jesus in, allowing humbly us to look at ourselves with the Holy Spirit and allow him to come and, and, and break and shape and rebuild us into the image that God intended us to be. You know, we have, we have a New Testament and an Old Testament in the Bible. Correct? Why do we have an Old Testament? 
Why do we have an Old Testament? Any, any says, someone said Old Covenant? Yeah, Old Covenant. But why is it there? Why do we read it? It's the old one. History to learn. Absolutely. We would not fully understand Jesus and what he did for us if we did not have the story that leads up to Jesus. If we didn't understand how God had been working, you know, if we didn't have the stories and the history of what God was doing and how he was relating to people, how he was relating to the Jewish nation before the birth of Jesus, then there's a lot of things in the New Testament that wouldn't make any sense to us. But if you read the Old Testament, you can't try to apply it in the New. It's the history that leads up to a point, And there's this defining point in Scripture, the point of Jesus' birth, his life, and his death. And that changes everything. You know, the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels tell us about Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament testifies to how people lived because of what Jesus had done. But the Old Testament is history. It's history. There's, and I'm being incredibly simplistic. Some of it's poetry. There's, you know, there's some of it that's pure history. There's some of it that is prophetic. There's things, but at the end of the day, it's all history. It's all past. The, the, because what Jesus did changed everything. And we have a story. We have a story of our life before Christ and our life after Christ. Here's the interesting thing. You know, so often the Christian church day, and it was, we saw it as a problem in, it's even recorded in the Bible, is that people try to live out of the old and the new. You know, Paul, many of his letters, Galatians being the, the paramount one, where he is writing saying, we no longer are under the law. And you can't be trying to live under the law and under Christ because in doing so, you nullify what Jesus has done for you. You make it useless. If you're trying to follow the all the ceremonies and the things of the past of the law and today, then you're basically saying that what Jesus did was not enough. And he powerfully writes about this. He makes very strong points. Like to the point where he's talking about, you know, circumcision, because one of those laws that they were trying to, that people were trying to get people to follow because they didn't understand what Jesus had done. It's like, if you really want to be a true follower of Christ, if you're a Gentile that hasn't been circumcised, you need to get circumcised. So you're just like the Jewish people. And Paul writes and goes, I wish the people that would teach that would go as far as just emasculate themselves, cutting everything off down there. If that's how they want to be, he's being extreme. Going, this is ridiculous. You don't need to do these things anymore because what Jesus has done has set us free from the law, from sin and death. The law is now written on our hearts. We're not practicing these ceremonies in order to be known by God or in order to be in right relationship with God. They didn't work in the first place. We needed Jesus. But just like people do, and, and today even people struggle with this. 
There's all kinds. You can go to all kinds of churches where they're teaching people to follow some aspect of the law. There's whole belief systems where people believe that it's somehow better to be Jewish than it is, you know, if you're, if you're a Jewish Christian, you're somehow of a better category than a non-Jewish Christian. And that's a lie. It's not true. There's all kinds of lies that we believe. And we believe these lies because we're bringing the old into the new. And we do the same thing. We bring our past life into our new life in Christ and we try to have both. Or we struggle because we can't seem to get rid of some of those old patterns and behaviors. Right? And, you know, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, like everything doesn't automatically change and there's no promise that it will. It's not like I gave my life to Christ and then God suddenly hit a reset button and then boom, I became a new person and all my old behaviors were gone and only had new wonderful behaviors. That will only happen when we're in the new heaven and new earth or when we're in heaven with God. Right? We, but here on this earth, we still are affected by all those things that have happened to us in our past. And some of those things may have changed in, in an instant, but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of those things haven't. And we, I don't know about yourself, but I found myself for so many years beating myself up because I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. You know, I knew there were things that were going on in my life that were not healthy for me, that were not good for me. You know, they, they certainly didn't reflect the new nature of who I was in Christ. But... The reality was I didn't know how to change or I couldn't change. And Romans, in, in, in the book of Romans, Paul writes about this. He says, you know, woe is, woe is us. We, we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things we do want to do. And he writes, like, how do we get solved this problem? Well, there's only one answer to this problem and it's Jesus Christ crucified. And, you know, the amazing thing is that even with the problems that you bring from your old life into your new life, you are still 100% completely saved and accepted by God. What defines you? Your identity is not your behaviors. Your identity is that you are a child of God and you are beloved by God. What we accept when we accept Jesus isn't just that he died and rose again for us at the cross. We accept that because he died and rose again from the cross, we have been set right with God. Even if we don't behave that way. Again, we're going to look at some scripture. Because it's not, I'm not saying that we then just excuse all those old behaviors. We, we actually need, like Jesus taught about getting the log out of our eye, right? We've got to be willing to let God work with us to get the log out of our eye or our, he was using that metaphorically. He was saying, you know, if you remember this from the gospels, he's like, you know, you try to get the splinter out of someone else's eye, but you've got a log in yours. In other words, you, you have, you've got a really big problem that you can't see and you're trying to solve somebody else's problem, little problem that you can. And he's like, get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the splinter out of somebody else's. The truth is the only person that we can change is ourselves. You know, we can't 
Guess what? You cannot change your spouse. You cannot change your friend. You can't change your enemy or anyone else that you're wanting to try to change. You just can change you. And God is fully 100% committed to that change in your life. 100% committed to it. Our job is to partner with him, to surrender to him, to be honest with him. God can handle our honesty about every fault and failure, every area that we're struggling with. We can bring to him without shame and say, God, help me. Right? There's nothing going on in your life that you cannot bring to God and speak honestly and openly with him and invite him into even if you're angry about it, we can bring our anger to God and go, God, we're angry. I'm angry at you. Why is this happening? Can you help me? And sometimes we need to get our anger out. But when we get our anger out, we need to then take a position of humility and listen to God's response. We see this in Job, right? Jo I was like, you know, the friends are talking to Job, but Job's like, why is this happening? Da, 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 da. And God comes to him and is like, wait, who do you think? You know, he gets all his anger out. And then God is like, yes, but are you the one that created the world? Are you the one that has done all these things? Do you really think you've got all the answers? Da, 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 he says to Job. And Job takes the position of humility, like, of course, God, you know, you know more than me. And it's interesting that it's after that that his life starts being restored. But he was honest with God. He was humble with God. And he let God work things through. You know, last week, last week, Anne talked about a ministry she went to. And you know, God used that ministry to bring incredible healing in her life, re uh, restoring the foundations. You know, it could be, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Christian counselors. And sometimes be the best pastors. They can bring some of the best healing to us. If there's if there are people that truly know Jesus, that are spirit-filled, that know how to bring God into our lives. There's all kinds of ways, if we'll be humble before God, that he will use to heal us. In my own life, he's used movies. He's used friends. He's used enemies. He's used incredibly painful situations. He's used people praying for me. He has used... Um, uh, books, thank you. He's songs. He's used no, but those are true. He's and he's used counselors. He's used all kinds of people. Obviously, you know, he's used my wife. He's used my kids. He's used my family. He's done all kinds of things. But it's that humility. He's often used completely non-Christian people or things to speak into my life because he can. And as we'll be humble and allow him to work, what will happen is incredible in our lives. But we've got to be willing to confront things. We've got to be willing to look at things. I have a friend that, that has, you know, I'm being incredibly generic, but just really difficult and terrible past. And he, he won't, he's, for whatever reason, he won't look at his past. He won't deal with his past. And so his past keeps informing his present because he's, you know, he's that past constantly sabotages him and keeps him from, from living in the very things that he would want to. 
I know others that are angry with God because of their past and so they, or because of things that have happened. And so they won't go to him, but then they live perpetually stuck. And you know, here's the thing. We can have given our life to Christ, but not actually given certain areas of our life to Christ. We can have experiences that we've gone through that we just package up and put away and we never have let God into them because it's too painful to do that. But God loves you and he wants to be let in. He's knocking at the door for each and every one of us. The things that are wrong in our life are not there to bring us guilt and shame. The mistakes the things we've done, the stuff of our past, it's not there to bring us guilt and shame. It's what the enemy does with it, right? He brings guilt and shame. But in God, there's no condemnation. God is not, God is not looking at any area of your life and going, you should have guilt and shame. He's saying, I paid for it all. I paid for it all. Even if you're struggling right now, even if you're struggling right now. Maybe you came to church this morning, you're watching this video, and you're just like, man, I just did the worst possible thing. I am so disappointed in myself. God must be so disappointed in me, and if anyone else found out about it, man, that'd be terrible. I want to tell you, the best thing you can do is with someone you trust and someone you know that is safe, bring that thing into the light. Whatever the enemy uses to make you feel ashamed, that's the very thing that you need someone you trust and someone that, you know, has, is a mature Christian. Do you need to be able to bring that into the light? Let them see it for what it is so that it will be gone from your life. Because the enemy wants to keep these things packaged away in guilt and shame because then he can constantly use them against us. But God wants them to come into the light so they can be exposed for what they really are we, and that the guilt and shame can be erased from our life. God loves you. You are, on your best day and your worst day, a beloved child of God. You have been adopted into his family, it says in Romans. And the type of adoption it spoke about is irreversible. It's not you're adopted, but guess what? You could be kicked out. God, his covenant with us is fully on his side. He will not kick you out of his family. You can leave if you choose to. You can say, I want nothing to do with God. I hate God. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to believe in Jesus again. I never want to go to heaven. I never want any of those things. God's not going to force you to go. But God's not going to also go, oh, you messed up. You're out of my family. You messed up, well, you don't make the grade anymore. You're not, you're not part of us anymore. His covenant, his love, his perfect love, his perfect faithfulness, not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. Let's look at some scripture. So you don't go, James is making this all up. Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. Romans is a complicated but amazing book. It is not easy to read at times, and sometimes you really sometimes need a good commentary to understand. But it is the gospel. 
It is it's, it's an amazing theology, and in my opinion, there are two key parts of Romans, and that is Romans 8 and Romans 12. In Romans 8, it starts out just after Paul has written going, why do we do these things we don't want to do? Why is it that we're, you know, we don't want to sin and we sin and we, we want, you know, we want to be living in, in righteousness, but we can't seem to get there, you know, and, and why, are, you know, what's our hope? And he's like, our hope is Jesus. And then after that, he's talking, he's talking about the hope that Jesus has and that he could do what the law could never do. And that us trying in our own strength and our own ability to be right with God will never work. But Jesus Christ, crucified at the cross, rose from the dead, who paid for sin and death for each and every one of us. That is the only answer. But it, it is the answer. So I'm going to read this from three different translations. It's going to be up on the screen, and I've picked these to give us the full meaning. The three translations I'm using is the NIV to begin with. Then I'm using the message, which is a paraphrase. What a paraphrase is, is where someone who has, you know, an expert who's writing a translation of the Bible, but is doing it in a way to make the language as relevant to us today as possible. So they are, you know, it's not a word for word. It's a, they're going, what is the meaning of what is being said? And we're going to, you know, explain that in a way that we can understand. And so then the other paraphrase that I'm using is called the Passion Translation. So let me read these. Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What is it? No condemnation. So I want you to speak this over yourself right now with me. There is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. We're going to say it again. There is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for me. Say that yourself. Say that to yourself as many times a day as you need to until you actually believe that. That there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 3 and 4 from the message version. So this is us going to the next couple as he, he writes, God went for the jugular vein when he set his own, when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant, that problem being sin. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it once and for all free, or set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never do that. The law always ends up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. 
and now what the law code asked for, but we could not, but what it could not deliver has been accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is setting you free continually from the law of sin and death. It's setting you continually free from sin. It's not your effort or your willpower that will set you free. It's not you trying to stop sinning that will stop you from sinning. It is you focusing on Jesus, focusing on what he's doing. It's you reminding yourself, I am not condemned for this thing. This is not who I am. Whatever the worst thing you've done in the last week, that is not you. And you can take this truth and apply it to that and go, I am not that. I am not that. I am not that. That is not who you are. And so we have to stop applying the law to our lives where we go, oh my goodness, this says I've sinned, I'm a sinner. Anyone that teaches that is wrong. You are not a sinner. You are a beloved child of God. You are under no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. That is who you are. And in that state, you may still sin. But your identity, who you are, is not a sinner. Who you are is one saved by the saving work of Jesus Christ and you've been adopted into God's family. You are a beloved child of God and there is no condemnation for you because of Christ Jesus. Romans 8.5 from the Passion Translation. Actually, it's Romans 8. Yep. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefit, benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. When we live out of our old nature, when we live out of these other things, they ultimately are self-centered. And in that self-centeredness, we either turn on self-righteousness, where we try go, look, my efforts have produced this. I am a good Christian because of my Bible study habits, my prayer life, my efforts that I've put in. You know, I've, I've used my willpower to bring about change. And if you just had enough willpower, you could change too. That's a lie. That is living from the flesh, even though it sounds spiritual. Romans 8, 5 to 8 from the message. Those who think that they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never getting around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in their self ignores God, ends up thinking more about the self than God, and that person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would be described by this statement. They were Bible scholars of the Old Testament. They were right, lived righteously, they obeyed the law, they did all these different things, but they ignored God. They ignored God. 
Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. It's like, you look good on the outside, but in the inside, you're rotten. You're dead. I am not saying that we shouldn't read our Bibles, that we shouldn't pray, shouldn't do these things, but your effort is not what gets you into the kingdom and your effort is not what brings you transformation. Reading scripture, having a knowledge of particularly of the New Testament is going to help you understand what God is doing in your life. And as you partner with the Holy Spirit and him living and breathing in you, he will bring life to the words that you're reading on the page, life to scripture, and that can breathe life to you. He can also breathe life to you while you're out in nature or sitting watching a movie or talking to your friend. He's with you all the time and always living and breathing in you. He's in you. You've been made new. You're being made new. For the rest of your life, he'll be working in and through you. And the more we pay attention to his working in our hearts and in our lives, the more free we'll get. Some of what I'm saying may be offensive to traditions you've grown up in. And I, I ask that we would humble ourselves before God and not the traditions of our past, maybe not the way we even thought yesterday, and allow God to work because we need to see that the traditions that we've grown up in are not working. That the traditions of man applied in the church have caused the church to shrink to a place where 3% of the population of Canada is Christian and actually knowing Christ. Right? Tradition, knowledge, just doing the right thing does not transform hearts and lives. And thus, people go, the church is a burden. It's not setting me free. But God will set you free. He will set you free as you submit to him, as you allow Jesus to work in your life. And you're not relying on the traditions of men, but we're relying on Jesus relying on the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, relying on the love of the Father transforming us. And it's when we can do that that he truly works because we let him work. Because it's not that he won't work. He just won't force his work on you. Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. This is from the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. I want you to hear it from a couple of other translations. Again, we'll read it again. This one's Romans 12. We'll go 1 to 3 from the message. And here it's written, So here, here is what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around in life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you, or embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. 
Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, and he develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves or misrepresent yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Well, we don't bring our good deeds as an offering to God and say, look what we did. We don't bring, God, look at how much I've changed we go to him going, Lord, you work in me. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're working. How do you want to lead me? What do you want to do? Let's hear this from one more translation. The Passion Translation. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfied and perfected in his eyes satisfied and perfect in his eyes. You know, the identity that you have, a little joke, Adam was like, oh, Pastor James, or James, our pastor. If you know me, if you got to know me, I don't go by title. I don't like being called pastor. It's not it's something offensive to me. I want to break down in your mind any idea that I'm somehow better than you, that I'm somehow more, more holy, that I'm somehow more worthy, somehow in a better position. You know? Who I am is a beloved child of God, and I have a role that I, that I do, in leading Lifehouse that God's asked me to do. Who you are is a beloved child of God. You may have a role in your life in a job. You may have a role in family. But those are not who you are. Who you are, that the core of your identity is a child of God. Names are very important. Jesus, the Son of God. You, adopted into that family, makes you brothers and sisters of Jesus. 
You are beloved children of God. That is your identity. You may have hobbies, you may have interests, you may have passions, you may have good things, you may have bad things, you may have things you're proud of, things you're ashamed of. None of those are your identity. You may have talents and gifts. Those are not your identity. Josh does an absolute standing job leading us in worship and leading the worship team, but his identity is not Josh the worship leader. He's Josh, beloved child of God. And when we see this, when we can truly see this, and I've got to tell you, it's taken me years to see this, to understand it, to sort through all the religious upbringing that I've had and so all the negative things that I've believed and the performance stuff. You know, I grew up, I grew up in the Catholic Church and the predominant thing that I was taught there was, you know, God's kind of weighing up your good deeds and your bad deeds. You're always trying to perform and always insecure. And those types of ideas are really hard to get out of. But there's so many, you know, Christian churches, Protestant churches, evangelical churches that teach the same garbage. And it is garbage. You are not on some scale where God is weighing up your good deeds and bad deeds against you. You have, you have something that no one else has. A Holy Spirit working in you that if you will let him work, if you will get out of his way, will actually bring true transformation in your life. And you get out of his way by partnering with him. By going, okay, you know what? Not my will, but your will, Lord. What do you want to work on today? I may have signed up for the Bible reading plan, but what, what do you want me to read today? Or what do you want me to do? Lord, I'm really, this area, you know I'm in pain. You know, I'm, this, this thing keeps coming up. You know that it's really hurting me. Lord, I just want to give that over to you. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. So I'm going to give that to you. Now, something happened this week, and, and the details are totally unimportant, but it was extremely painful, emotionally painful, and for, for a number of members in our family. And, and, it, and it was like we were just reeling and not knowing what to do, and you want the pain to go away, but there was literally nothing to do except hand it over to God. But in doing so, in handing that over to God over a number of days, not only did the pain go away, but the situation got resolved. It was causing the pain. And there'd be no way to resolve that outside of what God did. Whatever causes pain, guilt, or shame in your life, if you'll just keep giving that over to God, he will provide you with answers and solutions. He will help you. He will work in you. He will bring incredible change. But that change, we need to be identifying as, as those beloved children of God so that we'll remember that God is always safe and we can go to him with anything. And bring anything. God is not committed to leaving you in the mess. Right? The things that have hurt us, the things we do that are unhelpful to us or unhelpful to others, God isn't going... I approve of those things. He's going, I know the mess humanity is in. I know what the enemy does. I know everything that's happened in your life that's causing that to happen. And if you'll let me in, I know how to untangle the mess 
If you'll keep giving it to me, I can bring solutions. Thank you, my love. Ah. <laughs> uh. I just want to pray for us, and I'm going to give it over to Adam, but Lord, just as you, I pray you've been ministering to people and just in this place that, that we would be able to hand things over to you. I just feel God inviting you, whatever situation may have been coming to mind, that just right now is an act of faith. Go, God, I hand this over to you. You know, when I was in pain in the last week, I almost had to hand something, thing over to him every couple of minutes and keep handing it over, and keep handing it over, and keep handing it over. It's like, I'm hurting again. God, I hand this over to you. I'm still hurting. God, I hand this over to you. I can't, I got to keep handing it, and do that. I encourage you to do that. Just keep whatever it is. Hand it over to him, and hand it over to him, and trust him to bring the healing that he has for you. Amen? Amen. Adam. What amazing news that is not about me and that whatever I do, I like, it's, it's so, such a relief, right? To feel like sometimes people feel like that under so much pressure, I have to perform for God. I have to make my good deeds excel the weight of my bad deeds and always thinking about this. What amazing news that it's not about that that God has chosen us because all we can offer is filthy rags. Thank you so much, James. That is challenging and comforting at the same time. And thank you as well, guys, for coming out. Um, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And his commandment is to love each other not to obey all the rules and do all of these special things. There is a place for those, but that is not the commandment. Thank you, everyone, for coming out today. Please don't rush off unless you're going to get your children. Go and get your children and then stick around. You don't have to rush off. We're going to go in time of community. We've got cake, uh, cookies and coffee, so stick around. Um, if you don't have kids, get there first because the kids like the cookies. <laughs> um, don't forget, it's bring and share next week. So think about how, how you would like to contribute to that. It would be so great to have you join us. It's going to be at the Lifehouse Center, so a short drive away from here next week. So um, come back for that. Stick around. Get your kids. You are loved. You are blessed. You are chosen by God. He already chooses you. So go and live that this week. Thank you. Amen.